You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, good morning, Kensington. How's it going? Good, good. Let's all stand up as we worship. If you've never been here before, my name is Matthias. I'm one of the worship pastors around here. And one of the things we love to do around here is we love to worship and we love to sing. So that's what we're going to do right now as we praise Jesus and lift his name up.
How do you follow that? You guys, that was great. Thank you so much. Every time I hear that song, I just, I feel this new hope. And I, I don't know about you guys, but this last week, 
I'm feeling a sense of hope and just kind of a new beginning and Easter could not fall at a better time. Are you guys feeling the same way? The sun is out and the sun is alive and I can't wait to celebrate. And I'm seeing a lot more of you come back. So we are so glad to see you. My name is Susan. I'm part of the Orion team. And you know what I'm noticing is at our 11 o'clock service, we're getting really close to our capacity, which hopefully is going to expand really soon. But until it does, which is just a matter of time, if there's a lot of seats in between you, like more than three, you guys just keep kind of crunching in so that we can make room for others because our 11 o'clock is just getting fuller and fuller, which is really great. It makes me so happy. So you guys, you're going to enjoy a wonderful message by Steve Andrews, who's in the house today. Big, huge treat for you, seriously. You're going to love it. And he cheers for himself, which is even more endearing. <laughs> and you guys, before we do that, though, we've got a message from Danny, so take a peek. Hold, hold on, Susan. Guys, one, two, three. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Happy birthday. Thank you. Oh my gosh. This is the biggest birthday party I've ever had. So thanks you guys. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> thanks you guys. This week marks the one year anniversary of the coronavirus starting to take root in our country. So just take a moment right now and think back. Where were you this time last year? You know, I was up in the mountains of Nepal and we got a call over our phone to say, this is what's happening right now back at home. But I believe like so many events in our history, that this one is one of those times where we will say to our children and our grandchildren and even our great-grandchildren, this is where I was when the pandemic began. And did you ever think that we would have experienced and seen all that we have through these 12 short or maybe very long months? From the start of the pandemic until right now, we have seen social and civil and racial unrest, political divides and attention-filled election, homes turned into classrooms and parents turned into teachers, office buildings empty but computer screens filled, our own church community going through leadership changes, and recent events in our country that continue to challenge us as a faith community and as a country. One amazing aspect I've witnessed as I look back over this year is the incredible faithfulness of Christ and his people. At every turn this past year, I've had the privilege to experience God's faithfulness, generosity, grace, mercy, power, hope, and his love through our community. Though all the challenges we have faced, I truly believe that the church rooted in Christ has had and will continue to have an opportunity to preach and to teach and to live the gospel in a unique way because of these times. You know, one of my professors and teachers, along with many other you know, people, believe that this time is a beginning of a new era in history. I believe that as well. And if that is true, it brings with it many questions, but also many exciting opportunities for the work of God's kingdom. Around this time last year, we had started to close our buildings and started to shift to online services. 
For the first time in the history of Kensington, we did not gather publicly to celebrate Good Friday and Easter, but ironically enough, those services were probably one of the highest attended services with about 75,000 people watching and engaging online. This year's Good Friday service will be a haunting and yet beautiful experience, walking through the last hours of Jesus' life right up to his final breath on the cross. And it always gives us the time to remember and to lament and be grateful for the sacrifice Christ made for all people. And then, of course, Easter Sunday will be a celebration of how Jesus would overcome death to bring hope and joy to all who will believe. And because Jesus rose from the dead, his voice continues to call people today, calling them from their own tombs into eternal life. And so as I invite you to join us for Good Friday and Easter services, every year we ask you to download free tickets to these services. This ensures that we can accommodate the large number of people that will attend for this holiday weekend. And with COVID and our limited seating capacity to ensure health and safety, we still ask you to download your free tickets for the service that you and your family would like to attend. Now, if you haven't been back to church in a while, we've been doing free tickets for each weekend and each midweek service since we reopened all the way back in July of last year. Likely sometime later this spring, we will no longer be requiring tickets for our services, but for Good Friday and Easter, we're gonna continue ticketing. Since July of last year, we have continually monitored and evaluated what's best for our community as we've been gathering live in our auditoriums. Over the next several weeks, moving into spring, we will be slowly and incrementally increasing our capacities and restrictions while still providing safe social distancing. We have met so many new families. This is the coolest thing to me. We've met so many new families that have been attending online this past year that are starting to show up to meet us in person. And many of our peak service times in our auditoriums are hitting capacity uh, which means that our communities really do want to come back and be together live. And so we are working hard to continue to do the work in a manner that lives out our core values. And we base that really on Matthew 25, this verse that says, when we care for the least of our community, it's as if we're caring for Jesus himself. And we're going to hold on to that all the way through this pandemic. We've been so excited to see many of you on the weekends, and we look forward to us gathering more and more over the next few months. Well, speaking of gathering, this coming weekend, we'll be hosting our next Move Out Gathering. It's one of my favorite events we do every year. If you've never attended in the past, I really do highly encourage you to take part in this unique event that equips us in one of our very core values, to move out into our neighborhoods and to areas of influence and show the tangible love of Jesus. This year's theme is God's heart for humanity. And we'll be looking at our own humanity and what it means to meet others in the dust and the dirt of light, yet discover Jesus in the midst of all we encounter in this human experience. This event is intricately connected to our Move Out Network, which uh, are ministries that are led by individuals in our community that are based around God-given and like-minded passions and talents. The Move Out Gathering is a two-day event, which we're offering live and we're offering virtually. It will be hosted at our Kensington Troy campus and online Friday, this coming Friday, March 19th, and Saturday, March 20th. And we're gonna have large group sessions 
as well as smaller breakout sessions that will include things like extreme listening skills and seeing others as image bearers of God, walking with the homeless, learning how to have multi-ethnic conversations, kingdom justice, and other very helpful, intriguing skills and ideas. So please go to our website, our app, any social media platforms, and find out more information. Over the past few years, there's a saying that I've become aware of, and recently some friends reminded me of again. The phrase is, what people resist or what people fear is not so much change, but loss. What people fear is not so much change, but loss. Individuals, families, communities, churches, cities, counties, states, countries, and the global community really have experienced lots of loss over these past 12 months. And in this season of Lent that we're in, as we're moving quickly towards Good Friday and Easter, I'm reminded of Jesus and the loss he so willingly endured going to the cross so that all people who would place their faith in Jesus would ultimately be able to gain everything. As all of us look back and lament aspects of all the changes that have happened these past 12 months, I'm praying that we can look forward with a hopeful expectation to all of what God has planned for the future. I'll tell you this, I am grateful for each and every one of you and in great debt to all of you who have given so much over this last year to make our Kensington community safe, loving, and life-giving to all our neighbors. I'm deeply thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that makes all of this possible. And as we start to see and smell and sense spring coming, I don't know about you, but this past week, those days that were in the 60s, wow. I pray during this time that hope starts to rise up in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. And this hope will inspire us to continue to lead courageously out of the darkness of the tomb and into the light of a new era. I hope you have a great week this week, and I look forward to seeing you soon. You know, that is so encouraging. Appreciate Danny. I, I just, I think all of us are feeling it, um, that there's a, there's a new time coming. And it's just amazing to look out and feel this room because, you know, through the summer and the fall, been, been, uh, of course, we, have, we still have a huge number of people watching online, but it is so wonderful to be together. And I just want you to think about my life for a second, okay? For one second, oh, it's going to be about me. For the last 30 years, I have probably hugged and kissed 2,000 people a week, minimum. And over the last year, the only person I've been hugging is Paula, and she needs a break. <laughs> so I'm excited to get the vaccine. We're scheduled for this week. And uh, of course, I had, a, I had a rough journey with COVID, but I thought, it is just so wonderful to be in the room with human beings. Hello there. Hello, fellow humans. And it's just really encouraging. I love Danny. Danny just kind of fired me up. So, and um, so, so glad for, grateful for Susan Welsh. I also had a cool week. Uh, I had a wonderful breakfast with Craig McGlasson, or as I like to say, Craig McGlasson, because it makes him mad. He tries to punch me. Um, but he, he's afraid of me. But... Um, but hasn't he been such, in his family, such an incredible gift to this community? It's mind-blowing. And man alive, um, just seeing the fruition of our friendship over the last 15 or 16 years, whatever it's been, it's been really neat. 
And uh, so thankful for him and so thankful for all that God is doing through you. And it's exciting. We've got a lot of kids in the kids program again. They were, they were coming back in. It's very, very cool. And I want to say this about the Move Out Conference. Move Out Conference is going to be amazing. I think we have a moment in time where the, the world doesn't care what we believe and they don't care how we posture ourselves, but they certainly care about whether or not we care. And Move Out has become an amazing arm of us bringing the love of Jesus Christ to the world in tangible ways, which is very exciting. We got such a great, great conference. And some of you that are kind of thinking, oh, I don't need to go because I'm not really moved, whatever. This would be such a great decision for you to either sign up to watch it online or be there in person. So I'd love for you to take advantage of that. When I was a young person, I lived in, in, in the era where every friend I knew was uh, walking away from God, stepping into drugs, sex, alcohol, rebellion, agnosticism, atheism. That was just, that was the cool thing to be. And I just remember thinking, Jesus Christ invites us on a journey that we're going on today. And it's a hard journey. It's not a please me journey. It's not a everything's going to be great journey. It's a real journey about real humanity and real life. And we're going to start in the garden. And I was reflecting on two years ago, uh, Justin Warns and I took 19 guys to man up Israel. And we had one of the most transformational moments that uh, I've ever had. It was a truly multicultural team of 19 men. We shared our guts and the true stories of our lives with each other. It was one of the most powerful spiritual experiences of my life. But probably the, the biggest moment was we got permission to meet in a section of the Garden of Gethsemane that you can only get if you reserve it months or sometimes years ahead of time. And it's the most beautiful quiet, secluded place, and they think it might have been where Jesus prayed to the Father. At the end of this prayer time, we all went off on our own for an hour, and we came back. As we came back in together, basically every guy in the group was crying because we had been so moved to think that Jesus in this place went on a journey of brokenness out of love for us. And in a sense, to celebrate that, Michael King has been writing some passion and Easter music the last couple of weeks. I think he wrote the Palm Sunday song. He's written a song for the garden today, what Jesus went through. And I thought, what a great way to begin our journey today with Jesus. sorrows there betrayed blessed lamb for us was slain he bore our sins alone at Gethsemane he kneels to pray father take this cup Let thy will be done. 
Thank you, Tom. By the way, I was just thinking of God's faithfulness along the way. Uh, Tom's parents have been great friends for many, many years, and uh, Tom was part of the new creation singers that Mark, Mark Nelson led in the years before he started Kensington. So Tom's been around singing for about 35 years now, and I just think of the unbelievable, we were laughing earlier about this unbelievable journey of life that we've been on, like this roller coaster. Because listen, if you're here today, even if you're just a, even if you're an elementary student, you know already that life's a roller coaster. You know, you have these great and amazing moments, and then, and then, you know, moments where your gut empties out because you're zooming down and you you're terrified, and then you're you're going hard around corners. It's amazing to think that Jesus stepped into all of that. He stepped into our humanity. This is what is part of what makes following Jesus so unique from all other systems of belief in the world is that Jesus wasn't a myth. He walked in our steps. And I want to be honest with you today. I carry a ton of burdens. And everybody I know carries a ton of burdens. I'm on a wonderful prayer, prayer group chat with about 30 friends, men and women that um, uh, Paul and I did a trip with a couple years ago, and this group has ended up just praying for each other, like every day. There, there have been, in the last year and a half, thousands of prayer requests where people are supporting and carrying each other's burdens. And, and I'll tell you, it's just proved to me again that no one is burden-free, and, and, and no one is is going to be free from burdens that are powerful enough to crush them. That's why what we're going to talk about today is so important. Because Jesus came to share our pain and our burdens. Every one of us at one time or another has told ourselves a lie. And this is a big deal. If you're, here, if you're listening online or you're here today, if you've lived long enough, you at some point have told yourself that if you're go, as you're going through difficult stuff, that you can do it alone. You say, I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to suck it up and I'm going I'm to figure it out by myself. And nothing could be further from the truth. If you try to live it alone, you're going to fail. You're going to falter. I don't care how powerful or how tough you are because we were meant for community. We were meant to share our burdens together. And Jesus even models this in this journey with his disciples. There's another lie that we tend to believe when it comes to carrying the burdens and we think about Jesus and about our own lives. And that is the idea that we can avoid our problems. Some of you are in a tough marriage right now where you think if you just kind of go quietly through the house and not speak to each other or not address the brokenness that's there, that's going to be okay. All that's going to happen is the divide's going to get wider. You can't you cannot run from the pain and ever find it fixed. You can't. In fact, it's so funny how many times I've used the word in my life and how many times I've heard it from other people, the phrase, I'm fine. Like, how are you? I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. No, no. I'm fine. We say that because we want people to think that we can do it all on our own. Um, I had a chance to go to the Animal Kingdom in Orlando, Disney World, a couple weeks ago with two of my grandchildren and my son-in-law, Cam Underdown. Some of you guys know Cam. He was youth youth guy here years ago at the Orient Campus. He started the mycovidresponse.org website. He created that this time last year. And they've delivered like, I don't know, a million deliveries of food over the last, something unbelievable. Just because, just out of this crazy website that he thought he should start. And so we were down there with Cam and my daughter, daughter Lindy, and my and two and I took the two older grandkids to the Animal Kingdom with Cam, and we were having a great time because I love animals. I mean, that's my whole thing is being in the wilderness, being in the wild. And uh, but unfortunately, the Animal Kingdom had a roller coaster called the Himalayan Express. Has anybody ever ridden it? By the way, I mean to ask for a show of hands. How many? Of you? Okay, not too many of you. And uh, well, I just got to tell you something. From the time that I was little. I've never done roller coasters very well. I was the youngest of five kids, and my parents must have never tossed me around. Because as soon as I got on my first roller coaster as a kid, I got sick. And so I did okay through kind of my 20s, but I just don't do roller coasters. Well, guys, I succumbed to peer pressure. My eight and six-year-old grandkids were like, Gimpy, aren't you going to, aren't you going to, like, I totally understand peer pressure now. So I get on this roller coaster, and it's really not too bad. You get to, you know, it's pretty cool. It takes you up. You get to the top, and then, uh, spoiler alert, the, the track ends. Nobody told me that the rest of the roller coaster ride was backwards. And my breakfast is right here for about three minutes. In fact, we were videoing it, and the whole time you just hear me, oh, oh, oh. like, what a wimp. I'm just pathetic. And I got off, and it wasn't like Jesus sweating drops of blood in Gethsemane, but it was great drops of sweat. You know, one of the really bummers about going bald, the only bummer is there's nothing to absorb the sweat. Everything else is cool, I'm cool with, but there's nothing to stop the sweat. For two hours, I'm sweating and nauseated, and my grandkids think it's the greatest thing ever. They just, it's a wonderful memory for them. But man, that thing goes so fast and it's backwards, you don't know which way it's jerking. It's just terrible. <laughs> and uh, I now hope that there's a hell just for the creators of that ride. <laughs> uh, but I thought, 
I told myself, Steve, you're going to be fine. With everything I've known the last 20 years, when I get a roller coaster, it's bad news. But I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to be fine. So I'm telling myself what wasn't true. And I wasn't fine, but it was a great memory. And I thought, we all get caught in the belief that life will get better if we do one of these two things. If we avoid the brokenness or if we just try to tackle it all on our own. But here's what's powerful. Jesus walked a different way that I'm going to share with you in the next few minutes. And I'm very excited about this because this message was life transforming for me when I was a young man in my teen years. Because I thought, this is someone I will follow all my life. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in this message. Father, thank you. Thanks for having so many people watching on stream. Love you guys out there. So precious to me, and all of, all of you in this room, so fun to be here. So fun to see us coming to a new place out of this last year. And so, Lord, speak to every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room today. Speak to them truth about how to face the burdens that come their way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I also want to remind you, we're going to receive our offering now. Uh, again, in COVID, we don't pass a basket. I miss that. But there are some fun ways to give. I just want to, I haven't been at Orient in quite a few months, but I wanted to say, I've been kind of doing a world tour of the campuses, but um, the given less than 10 seconds on the Kensington app, that's only true if you're under 50. If you're over 50, it takes about a minute and 10 seconds. But I'm just saying, we're not, you know, we're not discriminating against old people. Okay, we're cool. So it might take you a minute, 10, but go ahead and do it. I would love, I would love for some of you who have been coming to go, and even some of you that are watching on the stream today to go, no, I'm going to give today. I'm going to, uh, if you haven't ever before, this would be a great way to start being a part of what we're doing in the world. And if you come to the move out, you will be so inspired. I was just uh, talking with Dave Vanderplug, who is our connection with Ramesh, with our Daughters International. And guys, what we've been able to do this year in Nepal, just, that's where Danny was when we got the news a year ago. That's just one place in the world where God is having an unbelievable impact. So please take advantage of that and join us on this team. And thank you for your faithful giving for those of you that are part of that. So uh, I'm going to ask you to take a screenshot of a couple of points today just so you can go when you're going out to lunch or you're going home or you're with friends that you can talk about these. Because some of these, I don't know if you're going to believe them or not. The first one I'm going to tell you, some of you are not going to agree with this, but I, I really believe this is the truth. And I want you to think about it. Okay, so get your phone out and get ready to take a screenshot of the screen. The most beautiful journey of life requires us to embrace the brokenness. You can't have a beautiful journey if everything is just peaches and cream. Like if, if, you, if you grow up and you play for, uh, on a team that never loses... There's so much you can't learn because life is about living in the imperfect. That's why so many people that are always so successful that when the first thing of real difficulty comes, they crumble under the pressure because they weren't prepared for it. And so the journey that I'm inviting on is the reason that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It was the reason that when I, when I was in high school, I felt like I was with a handful of people. We were the only people in the world that were following Jesus, and everybody else thought we were Jesus freaks and stupid. And I don't think we were that freakish. We, weren't, we just were normal people. We thought we believed that Jesus Christ was alive and that he brought purpose to life. And he gave us a way to live in the brokenness of this world. 
So watch Jesus as we read this. Luke 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. This is in the Gospel account of Luke. And his disciples followed him. I'm interested by this phrase, went out as usual, because this was anything but a usual night. This is the night where he has the last dinner. He feeds, he, he washes the disciples' feet. He identifies Judas as the betrayer. All of his guys are distressed and discouraged and exhausted, but he still goes out to pray at the Mount of Olives, which tells us that he did it all the time. But tonight is even more intense because in reaching the place, he says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. You ever thought of why he said that? I think he said it because he was tempted. He was facing, it's like, listen, if I face it, I know you're going to face it. You're going to want to run because I want to run. He proves it by his prayer. He withdrew about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. What's he saying? He says, I've got, a, I've got the temptation of my whole existence in front of me. As a follower of Jesus, those who are followers of Christ believe that Jesus was fully God, yes, but fully man, that he had the full human experience, all the temptations, all the hurts, all the fatigue of our lives. And in this moment, in his humanness, he's saying to the Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to take this road. I've got friends that I love that are facing cancer right now. This is such an important prayer. The prayer goes, I don't want this. I don't want to go through this. Some of you have wayward kids that you've lost a relationship with. Part of your prayer needs to be, Lord, I, this is not what I want. But I'm making a decision that I want your will. If you were to ask me what the most important prayer Jesus taught us to pray is not the Lord's prayer. It's still a great prayer. No, no criticism. It's great and it's awesome. This is the most important prayer Jesus ever prayed. Because it's so simple. It's simply saying, when I come to talk to the Father in the name of Jesus, I have literally only one option. His will. I mean, I can choose the other option. But then it's not a prayer. But the prayer goes, Lord, I really want my option. But it's not an option. What I want is your will. This is the prayer that changes everything. Because then you can walk with God through anything. I have so many things in my life that I'm distressed about and burdened about. And it's such a relief to go, Lord, I don't want any of these things. But thank you. The people that I love, the people that I have hurt, everybody I know feels the same way. And you have a moment of truth to go, is this about me or is this about your will? This is the invitation Jesus gives. And so... And I love his honesty. Wouldn't it be so different if the prayer, I tell you, the church, churches that I grew up in were always about flowery prayers. It's almost like Jesus would have said, Lord, you know, this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, because of who I am, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be great. I'm going to handle all this great. Would we even remember that prayer? You can answer that a lot. Would we even remember that prayer? No. You'd say that prayer's a joke. This is a real prayer. This is the most real that you can pray. And, it said, and we, know what the God's, we know what the Father's answer was. The answer was, no, you're going to drink the cup. You're going to take it, and you're going to drink it. 
An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Again, you, you can look it up online. Just Google Jesus sweating drops of blood. It'll describe the medical condition that they've seen that actually happen to people. I don't know if he was actually sweating literal drops of blood or not. It's not important to me because we know in the next few hours he was going to be pouring, blood was going to be pouring out of him from sticks and thorns and fists and nails and whips. And he knew the anguish that was coming and he went there for us. Jesus, fully God and fully man. This is the worst, gotta be the beginning of the worst night of his life. What a bad roller coaster ride. This is the Himalayan Express for people that shouldn't be on it. He's got 11 friends who join him to pray, and while one is going to betray him to death, he's just eaten his last earthly meal. He's just washed their dirty feet to show them what love looks like in serving. And all the while, knowing they're going to fail him miserably, as I get ready every year for Easter, there's a wait during Lent in the, the days leading up to Good Friday, to, to, to the Maundy Thursday, and the service, the moment of shadows, when darkness enters the world. Remember, Jesus says, says, this is darkness time. How can you read that with not feeling a heaviness in the fact that there's so many moments in our lives when you just go, okay, darkness, you're having your time. And I feel it. I felt it all week coming in because we're, we're coming up. Easter is coming soon. And Jesus is living all of this, knowing all this is going to come. And think about, as he's overwhelmed with anguish, this word anguish in the Greek, it's almost impossible to give it a full definition, but it's just, it's an overwhelming uh, angst of just being, like you're being torn apart from the inside. And isn't it interesting that Jesus chooses to express this burden to the Father on the Mount of Olives? It's not, an, it's not an irony. There's a powerful, powerful symbolism that many of us may not be aware of. If you come with me to Israel, I'll actually show you what it looks like. But during this pandemic, so many of people have said, you know, pressure only reveals what already existed. It's like water in your basement. You know what? If you've got a basement, I've got bad news for you. Water's going to win. Might not be this year, it might not be next year, but the water always wins because what does the water do? It finds the weakness in the link. It finds, it finds the chink in the armor. It finds the, the brokenness. It finds the little spots there. And it only reveals what already existed. And I've been wondering all this year, so what's it been revealing in me? Because I've, I've had a roller coaster of a year. You can imagine my life. First few months were... We're, we're cool. I like I can talk to people in Zoom, and then summer was great because I was meeting with people in the backyard, and then fall hit, and we all were back inside. And it's like I just went for about two and a half months, just feeling. And half the people I talked to were feeling the same way, right? And <laughs> believe me, there are way worse problems in the world than that. But it still was my story. It was still hard. And here. In Jesus on the Mount of Olives, which you're going to learn from the other account that I'm going to read to you in just a minute, is the Mount of Olives that he was at this place called Gethsemane. This is the place where I prayed. Joe Brooks, just, Joe's right over here. He was part of that with us. And 
we were, he just confirmed how overwhelmed we were by the presence of Jesus and the love of the Father for us. But the word Gethsemane comes from two Hebrew words, okay? The first word is get, G-A-T, which means a place for pressing oil or wine. And then shemanim, which means oils. So basically, Gethsemane means an oil press. This is where they would make the oil out of the olives. Now, during Jesus' time, heavy stone slabs were used to crush olives in an olive crusher. And uh, we, we, we actually pushed one with a big stone pulled by a donkey, and you could see it crush the oil. The first, time, the first time that the oil is crushed, it's this beautiful, pure oil. It's the kind you buy to cook with, the extra virgin olive oil. It's the, it's the first crush. But then, for people who use oil, you do a second crush, and you get another batch of oil, but it's kind of dirty, and it's got, you know, olive particles in it, and it's not pure, and it's used for, it's used for less significant things. And then it's crushed a third time, and that oil is even dirtier and that would be like where you make your candles or use other things for burning. The point is, Jesus is in the olive press. That's the, the whole point of it being in Gethsemane is God wanted you and me to know that what was happening was he was being crushed. That's why you go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, said he was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins. That's the, that's the olive press. It's smashed. This is what he's going through. And he's not going through it and just his identity as God, but his identity as a human. The olive crusher that would crush the olives. It's, a, it's an incredible image of three times crushed. So it's no irony that we come to Matthew 26. Look at this. In Matthew's account of this same story, Jesus goes into the grinder three times. It's amazing. It's not accidental. Later, Peter's going to do what? He's going to deny him how many times? Three times. It's an image of, of the crushing, of the complete and utter crushing. We're going to get to that in the next couple of weeks as we move towards Easter. But today, in Matthew 26, it says, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Who were they? Sons of thunder. James and John, come on, pretty awesome. You, you could always tell it by their leather, leather togas at the, on the back, sons of thunder. Terrible joke, not even funny, okay. <laughs> says, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I just want to say to you, if you've never thought about following Jesus, it would be interesting to follow a guy that could pray that kind of prayer and go, go, God, Dad, stay with me because I'm hurting so bad, I feel like I'm going to die. It's so interesting that Paul, in his letter to Corinthians, a couple of decades later, writes to the believers in Corinth, and he goes, I want you to know that we were under great pressure in the province of Asia. We were under such great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of our very lives. But we learned to experience this so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul said the same thing that Jesus said. 
And we say the same thing too. There are moments where you look at each other, you might feel it, and you go, no, I am at, the, at, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. I got nothing left. This is the beauty that Jesus knows that in you and me. When he says to Peter, he says, watch with me, guys. You know what he's saying? He says, guys, if I ever needed some true friends and some support, it's now. I'm in my breaking point, and I don't know if I can go on. I was thinking what Jesus went through, and I've got to be honest with you. In my life, been very few times I've been alone. Of, of maybe more than anybody I know, I have, I have felt the support of friends and loved ones my, my whole life. And so I don't even know if I can understand this, but I know that there are people listening here and on the stream who have felt terribly abandoned. I've had some moments, but nothing like many people I know where you felt completely abandoned in this world. I want you to know, Jesus was there, just like he was here at the garden. And he's saying to his friends, if I ever needed for you guys to, to stay awake, this is the moment. Yesterday, I did something fun. I had a great week. I had breakfast with Craig McGlasson uh, early this week, but I had breakfast with Mark, Mark Nelson and Dave Wilson yesterday. And it was funny. I was thinking about our life, our 35 years of friendship together. And it was an imperfect friendship because they were imperfect. And uh, <laughs> I, I want to tell you something. I am not exaggerating. We have had probably 2,000 breakfasts together. And I'm just thinking, boy, we didn't accomplish very much. <laughs> I'm teasing. It's like, <laughs> my gosh, we've had so many great breakfasts, and we had a wonderful breakfast. But it was so interesting because I asked both of them. I said, I said, guys, before we go, I want you to tell me what, what the Lord is teaching you. And I'll, I'll share with you another time what Dave said. It was really fun. But Mark, what Mark shared was so close to today's message. Mark has said he's been thinking. He said, you know, he said, I've been reading a lot of this in the scripture. He says, he says, I realize what everybody wants is people want to get to a place where they're confident in their own identity and they want to be at peace with themselves and with the world. He says, but here's what I'm learning and what people, people don't know. You can't get there with Jesus without going through the pain. You can't get there. You can't get to your true identity by just sailing on flowery beds of ease, man. You gotta, you gotta step into the game. People, people wanna say, so uh, how, do I, how do I know if God's called me to care about others or called me to go to the move out conference or love other people? You won't know until you step into it. And you're gonna find that people are as irrational, irrational and unreasonable as you are. And people are flawed, except for some of us. And Mark, I just said, Mark, you're right. And then he finished with this. He goes, and you know what's interesting? He says, maybe of all cultures in recent history, our culture fights to avoid pain at all costs. That's the thing we're afraid of. But you can't grow. You can't get strong without pain. You want to you build yourself up in the gym? If you, don't, if you don't ever push yourself to the point you want to puke, you didn't work out. I don't work out very often. But the real people that are working out, they're working to the point where they're ready to vomit because they have, they said, the only way I'm going to get strong is to go through the pain. It's fascinating. Look how it continues. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. Remember, that was the stone's throw of, of the Luke story. He says, my father, if it's possible, same prayer, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returns to the disciples and finds them sleeping. 
Is there anything worse that you could do to a person that's hurting? That they're, they've come to you and they're in pain, you fall asleep? This, I'm not kidding you. I had a youth leader that worked for me when I was youth director at Ward Presbyterian in Livonia about 40 years ago. And she was one of the leaders of, of a big section of our kids. And she came in and shared some heartache in her life. And it was right after lunch. And I fell asleep as she was talking to me. Our, our friendship never recovered. Never, never recovered. Because at the moment, she needed, she needed a listening ear, right? And I fall asleep in my chair because I had too, much at, had too much for lunch. That's what we do to Jesus all the time. <laughs> but he never did it on us. So here is closest friends, and they're dead asleep. And it says, remember in the other passage, they were exhausted. I'm not down on those guys. I love those guys because for every man and woman here that thinks Jesus is calling you and you think you're not worthy, oh, no. You, you will fit right on the team because this was a messed up group of people. He returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Couldn't you stay awake at the worst moment of my life? Could you stay awake for one hour? Have you ever been there? One of the things I hated about preparing this week was I, I, I have a kind of memory where I remember all the people I failed. I really, I, I almost have no memory of people that have failed me. I, I don't think, I'm sure it's happened occasionally, but I don't think about it. But oh my gosh, I live, you just tell when I was telling you that story. I got lots of those. And I just, I hate that, that failing. And that's what Jesus experienced at the worst time of his life. So a second time, a second crushing, he went away a second time and said, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. This time, see the difference in the prayer? This prayer is a prayer of resolve. He's like, okay, I'm back a second time, and I know you're not taking the cup away. And I'm going to drink it. Your will be done. Man, he's having a moment. He comes back again. What does he find? They're sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. Okay, oil, the olives are getting demolished. Third time, he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. He prayed the same prayer. Let this cup pass if it's possible. And he returned to the disciples and said, are you still sleeping? <laughs> Man, this is so amazing that Jesus Christ knew that in this moment, he was going to be alone. Because there may come times in your life when you really feel alone. I want you to know you're not alone because the Lord Jesus is there. He's lived in that lonely, empty place. He's been right there for you, and he will not leave you alone. I've kind of printed this out because I wanted you to take a screenshot of a couple of these next screens because I remember this. Three times in the pressing, three times, the millstone, the mortar stone goes over the olives. And this is what Jesus does. And I want to challenge you to think about this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus surrendered his preference to accomplish the Father's purpose. Jesus surrendered his preference to accomplish the Father's purpose. I'd love for you to take a picture of that, particularly because I'm on the screen. Because this is the key 
to a beautiful life. You want to live a beautiful life? I didn't say an easy life. I said, you want to live a beautiful life, it's where you go, not my will, but yours be done. Like, Lord, I want what you want. Because here's the beautiful thing. When you say that, it's complete freedom. The person who has said, not my will, but God's be done, is a person free of resentment of others, free of self-pity, free of competitive grasp of trying to take from others what is theirs. When you're at peace with what God wants for you, you're free to be at peace with people. But of course, it's not relevant to our world because we don't need any of that in our relationships. That was bad sarcasm. I was amazed this year of how my family of origin, how divided we are. And it's like, it's like our family is addicted that we need to convince everybody else that our position is the best. You want to guess how that's working? How do you think that's working? That's not working at all. All that's doing is driving wedges. In his journey into suffering, second one, is Jesus knows intimately the pain of life. Therefore, he can empathize to our pain like no one else. You want to change someone's life? You don't need to prove you're right. But if another person feels that you, at some level, feel their pain, they're going to be changed. About 10 years ago, I was spending all my time arguing with my children because they just couldn't understand my natural brilliance. And it was destroying our relationship. And I felt like through trusted friends and through the, the Holy Spirit speaking to me, was like, Steve, you've told them what you, you think and believe 10,000 times at least. Like, they know that. Why don't you shut up and listen? Why don't you learn from them? Why don't you be present in what they're feeling? If you're in a troubled marriage today, here, listening, some of us think, well, I'm just going to deal with my troubled marriage by walking quietly through the house, being polite, maybe avoiding too much eye contact, ignore the issues that are driving us apart, and we'll be okay eventually. No, you won't. You'll eventually just see the divide get wider. You have to step into it, but you don't step into it by proving that the other person is wrong. You step in by taking 100% ownership for your own life and brokenness, embracing the brokenness of your own life. And then if you can begin to feel with that other person, it could change everything. I've seen this so many times in my own life. Uh, I've been in conflicts that went on for a year with people. And I'd say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what that did? Nothing. But we finally get to a point, and I'd look at the person and go, I've really hurt you. And I am so sorry. I'd like to figure out where we go from here. Almost every time, healing began to take place. But we want to go, oh, yeah, but you really hurt me, but, but, but you hurt me too. Doesn't do anything. Just drives the wedge deeper. Jesus empathizes with our pain like no one else. If you have ever laid in a mud puddle and been totally discouraged and broken in your life, I promise you, 
Jesus will sit right in there with you. One last thing to take a picture of. And when we say to ourselves, as Jesus surrenders his preference to accomplish the Father's purpose, when we say to ourselves, nobody understands what I'm going through, I just want you to know it's just not true. It's just not true. Jesus gets it. The writer of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but he was tempted in every way that we were, and yet he didn't fail. He didn't sin. Therefore, we can boldly approach him because we know he's, he's there with his arms open. Reality reminds me of Psalm 34, the ancestor of Jesus. King David wrote these words many years ago. It says, the Lord... David actually wrote these words out of his own despair as he was running from Saul for his life. He said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that amazing? That's what the Lord promises to do to you. And how do we know that we can believe that he does that? Is because he leaned in to embrace the brokenness at every point of his life. And he did it because of us. He stepped I love what Danny said earlier. Jesus steps into the dust and the dirt and the grime and the smell of our lives. He's not wearing some satiny white gown that can't be touched or can't be soiled. He's in the dirt with us. He's covered in blood. He's got spit dripping down his face. He's got bruises that make him unrecognizable. And he's got scars all over him. This is the person I'm inviting you to follow with all of your heart and all your life. Would you ever get a better offer? So how do we embrace brokenness? We look at Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight in the sin that clings so closely to us and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What was Jesus doing in the garden and on the way to the cross? He was perfecting the journey. He was taking the journey and making it right so that we could follow in his footsteps and follow by the presence of his Holy Spirit. And he did it for the sake of the joy that was set before him, enduring the cross, disregarding its shame, and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. I just have to ask this because I know there will be some people won't know the answer to this. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? What was it? What was the joy? He's looking ahead. He's going through all this horror because there's joy ahead. What's the joy? The joy is restoration with us. The joy is us. You ever thought you are a worthless, crummy person that has no worth? The joy that drove Jesus this whole journey was for you. Isn't that amazing? Is anybody happy about that? <laughs> Golly. I can remember so many moments of feeling worthless, and I thought, no, he did this for me. So there's two things I want to encourage you to do. And Jeremiah and Justin and the team did such a great job in these notes, but the first one is this. I want you to let go of the burden that's on you by embracing the burden bearer. So here's a visual. Here's Jesus as the burden bearer. He's saying, come to me, all you, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I'll give, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So come to me. His arms are open wide. Let me ask you. All of us are coming to Jesus, and we got 200 pounds of burdens that we're holding right, in our, right to our chest. Can you hug Jesus this way? Good. You answer out loud. Can you hug anybody if you got 200 pounds you're holding? No. You do what? 
Say it all out. You, you let go or you give it, let, give it to him. He'll put it aside and then he'll embrace you. It's the embrace of Jesus that says, I understand where you are. And here's the truth of it. Dave Wilson, remember him giving this message 30 some years ago. He said, cast your cares on Jesus. Peter said in, the, in his epistle, cast your burdens on him because he cares for you. He says, what, what does it mean to cast? It means you got to keep casting because one minute later you're going to pick up the burden. You got all those burdens. Well, I dropped all those burdens. Oh, wait, I just picked them up five seconds ago. You got to keep releasing the burdens because the burden bearer is waiting to embrace you. That's just something beautiful about that. You surrender the weight. And then secondly, so this is so important. Surround yourselves with burden carriers. Don't live, if you're alone today, go, uh, go to the information booth and talk about maybe finding a small group or finding some connection. Come to Celebrate Recovery. Be in a small group. Find, find a community of people. But don't live your life alone. Jesus said it this way. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, lay aside the weight and let us run with perseverance the race set before us. I want you to understand the communal language. Almost all of the Old Testament is written in the first person plural. It's not I, it's we. All the messages are to the we. It's not some, well, I'm doing that. No, it's we. Everything that's ever good that's ever happened in my life and in your life was because of a we, not because of an I. And Jesus says, find people to carry your burdens along the way. So let me finish with this. Matthias is going to lead us in this song that's not new to you, but it's kind of newer to me. I love it. It's called Run to the Father. It says, I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. Yeah, I see it now. I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. It's beautiful. We're going to sing it. You're going to see the words in a minute. But I was thinking about this, this carrying of burdens, and I thought about not only for us to find burden carriers for us, but for us to be a burden carrier for others as we embrace the true burden bearer, Jesus, that we help carry each other's burdens. And I was thinking back to this crazy story, 1969. I was 12 years old, and we were living in Kenya, outside of Nairobi, out in the, the about, we were living at 9,000 feet up in the Aberdare Mountains mission station up there and my dad had taken over the hospital there and it was a pretty cool year because if we wanted to eat meat we had to hunt it so every every everything we ate we hunted birds planes game it was the best best eating I've ever done in my whole life so interesting it's oh the African game was just it's wonderful well dad and I found this place to hunt ducks and geese that very few people had found and we were excited to bring a bunch of ducks and geese back to the mission station for people and people were always excited and came back with food and uh, here was the problem I was the worst shot in the history of the world like no one has ever been a worse shot and on this particular day at Old Belasset, I'm 12 years old I'm with my dad we have one shotgun we're taking turns my dad was an amazing athlete, amazing shot. He shot 12 times that day and killed 12 geese. Now you're thinking from the Garden of Gethsemane to goose hunting in Kenya, where, what, am, is that, am I crazy? Yes, I'm crazy. But it's going to have a point here in a second. 
So he, we were alternating shots, and then as we reached the middle of the day, he just said, you shoot. We, we, had, we had a good, bad, good bunch of geese to bring back. So I shot the rest of the day, and I shot 40 times. And I never killed one bird. And so for me, growing as a young man trying to prove that I had what it took, I've, I felt completely deflated. It was the very end of the day, and we were looking west. My dad's been gone 16 years. I, as I tell this story, I so much, I'd love to be with him for a minute, you know, give him a kiss. And, but I, I believe that he's cheering me on as part of the great cloud of witnesses. But it was one of those beautiful, like, novel days. The sun had set in the west, and it was over these mount, the Everdare Mountains on the beautiful Lake Obelasset, and we were in this cornfield, and Dad and I could look at each other, and uh, both of our faces were glowing from the last sun of the day. And my dad and I did taxidermy that year. We collected almost all the game birds of East Africa. We mounted them, brought them back to America. It was just it was a fun hobby. It was ant birds that we hunted and then prepared to eat. And, and my dad was a terrific artist, taxidermist, and I helped him. The last, the last big prize we needed was a spur wing goose. They're the biggest goose in the world. They weigh like 25 pounds. That'd be, if you see a Canada goose at the lakes, like three or four times bigger than that. And we had just not had an opportunity. Well, at the very end of the day, the sun is set. It's the last group. I see this huge group of geese coming. And if my first thing was like, Dad, it's spur wings. Take the gun. He's like, no. It's like, I want, I, want you, I want you to try one more time. Okay. So they come, and I raise up, and I hit the first bird. He's giant, incredible. He would have been awesome for our collection. And uh, he, he starts to crumple like he's coming down, but then he gathers his wings, and he locks his wings, which means it was probably a fatal shot. But he sails off until he disappears in the dark. It's dark. We know we can never find him. And I, you know, he disappears into the east. Uh, and I've just, I've never felt such a feeling of utter worthlessness and failure. It sounds silly, almost, doesn't it? Like, you missed some birds. What? Didn't matter. It's my story, right? And I felt utterly worthless. And I just started to cry quietly, tears coming down my face, just like, golly, what a loser. And I looked over at my dad. He didn't say a word. He had, he had one tear coming down his cheek. I've never felt more loved in my whole life. I don't think this moment I've ever, I thought he knows what I'm feeling, right? He's imperfect. But that tear told me everything I needed to know. And we had a wonderful life together. But I want you to know something. Whatever you're going through, if you could see Jesus' face right now, you would see one tear on his cheek as he looks you in the eye and loves you and knows everything that you've experienced. That story is my prayer today. That's the story of Jesus revealing himself, not unable to understand you, but to empathize with everything you're going through. Why wouldn't you follow him to journeys in.
That's one of my new favorite songs. Jesus goes with you every step you take. And the heartaches and the brokenness of your life are part of the pathway to the beautiful journey ahead, which is going to increase our love for other people, right? As we carry the burdens of others our lives will be set free and they'll be able to believe that there is a God who came for them. This is the journey that we're on. I love it. I wouldn't want to be, I don't know what other journey there is. Just, but this is the journey of forgiveness and freedom from resentment and freedom to love people without having to continually harangue them to be different, but to meet them where they are. This is what Jesus did. It's an amazing image. And so as you go out of here, Think about all the people that God's put in your life and the burdens that you can carry. Because I'll tell you, as you begin to carry other burdens, you carry the burdens of other people, you'll start to feel yourself being set free too. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful gestalt of how God works in our lives along the way. So the Move Out Conference, please take advantage of that. Would love for a lot of you to join us. Man, I just, I don't know how to, how to beg you, but the world especially the world that we've, I've seen over the last, they don't care what we believe. But they really will care if we care. And we're learning how to express the love of Jesus Christ in tangible, powerful ways, in ways that we haven't done before. The Move Out Conference is going to help us do better at that and grow by the power of His Holy Spirit. So take advantage of that. If you'd love for prayer, that open door with the light coming through is right there. There's back there if you'd love for people to pray for you. What a joy to be with you today. I want to tell you, you have Jesus with you. Go and be his hands and feet in the world, okay? Great. See you. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.